Hello and welcome to the Giants in Disguise podcast. My name is Usman and I shall be taking you on a journey with some of the individuals who inspire me to push my physical, mental and emotional boundaries, to believe in my abilities and ideas. Ideas that have taken me to some incredible places and meet some amazing people. In this podcast, I speak to those individuals in the hope that their stories inspire you to challenge your limits and find the giant within you. In today's episode, I speak with Fozia, a passionate triathlete living in Canada. Our conversation revolves around her upbringing, why she started taking part in triathlons, how she defines being an athlete. Just that desire, that hunger to keep moving forward and just be in love with what you do is what makes an athlete. And how people around you can encourage you to strive for greatness. Yes, you know, but these are little acts of kindness. And I think that's the warmth of community, that it will embrace you in a very unexpected way. We briefly touch upon Fosia's experience at the Lake Placid Ironman 70.3. But what's really fascinating is her approach, commitment and dedication to overcoming her fears. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed having a conversation with Fosia. This is the Giants in Disguise podcast. I think I'd like to just start off by getting to know you a bit more by finding how you, you know, a bit more about your upbringing and your childhood and if you can talk about, you know, where you grew up. I, I grew up in in Karachi mm-hmm. and um for for, for most uh no I'd say I, I yeah I grew up in Karachi then I continued mm-hmm. to grow up uh in Toronto family structure growing up was my mom I have a twin sister mm-hmm. and uh an elder brother we we moved to Canada in 2004 so a lot of my formative years um were spent in Karachi it's it's a big okay. part of who I am and um, like it's it's giving me my grounding, and then Canada mm. has really sort of nurtured it. And what was your childhood like then, growing up in Karachi? I don't know how to say it. Very very regular. We were a middle class mm-hmm. family, uh, very tightly knit with our family. Um, we we lived. We weren't in a joint family system, but we pretty much lived like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because my grandmother lived with us, so tons of uncles and aunts, and that was yeah. pretty much the hub for everyone to mm-hmm. congregate. So, um, you know, had a lot of cousins um, to play with, to grow with. Um, also very active in our building where we grew up. So there's a lot of events we used yeah. to lead. Um, I remember organizing um with, with you know a bunch of people uh, in the in the building, badminton events and God knows what yeah. not. So that that was really the highlight. Uh, when you go back to the nineties, uh, it's where all the noise of the digital stuff was not around. It was pure play. Would you consider sport yourself to be sporty when you were growing up? So um, yes and no. Uh, mm-hmm. I think till I was thirteen, I was quite sporty, uh, especially with badminton. And, and I used to love swimming. Um, 
but at like 13 is when I started developing some knee issues and some health issues. So a lot of that time was taken away from sport and it prevented me from participating. But, you know, I, I always used to get very excited because my, you know, my friends and my twin and everyone used to play. So uh, it was always something that I felt brought a community together. Uh, it became a bit of a common denominator, irrespective of where you were even if you were a spectator, it was just so nice to be around in the thrill of that. Um, so yes, not I didn't play much um, in a lot of my teen years. How was that like moving to a new country? And um, I think it was um, it was interesting. It happened really fast, and sometimes mm -hmm. that's a good thing as well um, because when you um, when you put a lot of time to think, and then you you know, you think of the various ways this can go, um, mm -hmm. you can also end up in a bit of a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And um, just knowing that this is what had to happen, or maybe that that's just the kind of person I am. If I know this is how it's going to be, then my mind will just go that way. It's not so mm -hmm. much about, oh my God, you know, imagine yeah. all the things I'm leaving behind. Uh, for example, when we moved here and I was in... Um, you know, my first year of moving here and everyone used to complain, uh, even in, in university. Oh, my God, it's so cold. And I'm like, listen, this is eight months of our life. So you might as well uh, start loving it. Otherwise, it's eight yeah. months of resentment. Um, did you have any inspirations and inspirations around you in life, um, family or growing up? Did you have any people that you looked up to? I I feel you draw inspiration from anybody and everybody you meet. There is something, and especially people you hang out with more or you choose to hang out with, there is something that they will give as long as you're open to receiving it. Yeah. Right? So if I look at my mom, um, she raised us as a single parent, and there is so much. Um, I, I think this entire concept of this is what it is, mm. move in that direction, mm. you know, rather than, uh, just sitting and moping about things. So I think that's mm -hmm. kind of where that comes from, just the resilience and, and the excitement in the newness. Um, I'd say from my sister, it is just pure spunk. My twin, I, I mean, she's uh, she's a hoot. And I look up to her for so many things. Uh, a lot of my, um, you know, the, the thing, like venturing out for new things, uh, initially I was not like that. And I draw mm. a lot of that from my twin sister, always being the exciting <laughs> counterpart, a bit of a rebel. And, and I was mm -hmm. a closeted rebel. So but if I look, you know, in hindsight, so with her pushing the boundaries, really um, wanting to get out there and explore, this is something I've learned from my twin. Mm -hmm. So a bit of a yin-yang situation. Yeah, I feel my personality has changed um, a lot, or maybe it's evolved, right? Sometimes people come out overtly with with certain aspects of their personality. Sometimes they those aspects just show up a lot later in life. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel a lot of the nurturing of those things that are coming out right now, if I look back, would have been uh, through my sister. Interesting. How would your friends describe you then as a person? How do you think your friends describe you? I'd say committed. If I pick something, then then I will likely follow through if I really put my mind to it. 
going back to I think community uh, and what that means to you do you want to elaborate on that and perhaps some reasons why it means a lot to you a community binds you right that it grounds you it binds you it fosters you and and this this is uh, the same in any kind of um, any kind of community you go for so growing up the set of friends our neighbors they are the ones that kind of molded us in the kind of people we are right now it it might have been i choose not to be like this neighbor or it might be hey you know the little things that uh, this person does make uh, make such a huge difference so finding those kind of details is really what comes through in a community it also teaches you to grow and move together mm. i if i look at the triathlon community specifically usman i came out of nowhere like i literally started triathlons as a what are they uh, and if i don't jump into this right now or if i spend too much time uh figuring out how exactly this is going to be and then go i already wasted a year thinking about that mm-hmm. and my first race was literally um i didn't train for it and i just showed up because mm-hmm. i was like oh what i'm just going to lose a day i'll just find out the worst is i'm going to come out of it and then that curiosity and taking uh you along so an example is one of the people who's now um a mentor to me i um came across them by accident and this is you know while looking up winter training because i was like where there is a need there must be a business how do these <laughs> crazies you know bike uh in the thick of snow and while googling i came across uh the studio and so nice you know it, there was no expectation and the owner just said hey don't buy cleats or don't buy bike sho- uh, bike shoes or any of those things just come try it out the first two times and then it was more of you don't have to invest in bike shorts cuz you know these these uh this gear is expensive it's like i was spare one spare new before you lose your heart um just see if this is a sport that you want but you know it's the little acts of kindness or um i am extremely fearful of heights so downhill for me is the death of me this person like part of part of the people that i would go train with in these winter months would be like hey do you want to come um just ride around the block with me i have no idea what this person is putting me up for and then started taking me over speed bumps and then a random downhill comes and just making me practice you know but these are little acts of kindness that people don't have to go the extra mile to say oh i'm doing this for you so that you can be xyz it's so seamless um yeah. and i think that's the warmth of community that it will mm. embrace you in a very um unexpected way and take you with them fast forward a few years how have you shared that um similar experience with people who are starting out in triathlons or something so one of my friends has always been curious about running and uh you know it and this is around um these covid times and i was like listen mm-hmm. why don't we just go out you don't have to run i think there's also this misconception when i read people saying okay what do i need to be a runner you need to run at x kilometers per hour i i i think that's bullshit um you just need to 
get started. And mm. sometimes, you know, break it down. You don't have to run at a certain speed to consider yourself a runner. You don't have to go for a certain distance. Start small, break it down like a project. So it just became a fun exercise. Hey, we're going to do two minutes of walking, one minute of running. And mm. three sets of that, five minutes, you know, warm up, cool down, like make it easy. You know, I feel when, when people start out, they become so overwhelmed with the kind of things that someone must be doing um, that, that it almost deters them. So um, uh, I think a couple of uh, weeks and, and some consistency, she's, she's already in, uh, she's already close to her 5k. Nice. I think it's, yeah, it's go best. It goes back to, you know, understanding that it has to be fun. Um, otherwise, you know, you look at, you start looking at the numbers and you go deep down into, oh, my pace, you know, how much distance I'm doing and perhaps you lose that sense of, uh, fun. And yeah, that's always been important to me as well, whatever you do. And sometimes you feel like you don't have to be doing it and that's fine. But I think consistency still needs to be there in whatever you're doing, but not forgetting that you are having fun. Yeah. For me, it was finding things that I feel very strongly about and then meet, meeting like-minded people. So when I look at one of the rides I did, uh, which was for cancer awareness a few years ago, none of, like, none of my friends that became part of that team, including myself, knew anything about cycling or fundraising mm -hmm. or we were fresh out of school or maybe yeah. like just starting out our careers. Um, so just forming a team, showing up for that event, training a little bit um, here and there, or not even knowing where to buy our bikes, mm. um, or, you know, figuring out what is a bike store and then meeting these people that taught us how to change a tire, how to, you know, just those little, everyone teaches you a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. Then when you go in an event like this, I still remember, um, there used to be these monthly check-ins that they would help you with fundraising or just keep you pumped up for training and stuff like that. Um, so you meet some more people and you learn from them and then you start to, you know, uh, know them a little bit more than you see them on race day. So that familiarity adds, I still know um, two, three people from that race day. Mm. Uh, we've just kept in touch throughout. Yeah. And um, even when you're riding and you're slowing down, someone randomly, you know, it's like that global cyclist community that you can sometimes yeah, like, you got yeah, this, yeah. keep going when you're on that hill and you just can't like mm -hmm. you got this, keep pedaling. So yeah. I think it, it's just very heartwarming when people just yeah. come together. Um, so let's go back to that race um, at, that it was at the 220 kilometer race with the with seven of your friends, right? Yeah. Um, so if you want to talk a bit more about how, you know, how, wh what sparked the idea and then who was it to organize your friends and how did you convince them? So I think that for me was pivotal. My dad died from cancer and this is a cause that's been very close to my heart. And there's a lot of um, cancer cases in my family, within my circle, mm -hmm. as, as is for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've worked in this field for a long time in cancer prevention for that yeah. reason as well. So this is when we just started out, found a race that I still don't remember what it was about it because the distance would have probably 
made my head spin. I did not look at the distance. Um, or I just knew we were going from Toronto to Niagara Falls. And I'm like, that sounds nice. Nobody's paying attention to the distance. I hadn't even, um, go figure, I didn't even have a bike at the time. I told my sister, one of my other friends, and I'm like, I'm not doing this alone, right? We'll, we'll just do it. It'll be fun. Okay. It's like, no, none of us knew what we were signing up for. It's just, there's this fundraising goal that we're going to do fine. Then that team became seven eventually. So I, I was leading it, but it was an interesting experience because I, it was a lot of figuring out, uh, or, or a position that I typically would never have been, but this was me, you know, sort of taking the lead on, okay, I will reach out to them and find out what, arrange jerseys or arrange we don't have bikes okay maybe we go to a bike shop and crack a deal to buy multiple bikes at the same time (laughs) and just in that exploratory phase uh is i think where all the excitement came from the fundraising itself was really exciting because it's you know it's not so much about who you expect the dollars from it's the people that you least expect that'll surprise you and then you build those connections again um, and you never know who you share that common denominator with. Mm-hmm. Like people I'd lost touch with for over 10 years, just randomly reached out with one mm-hmm. of the biggest donations uh, that I received for that race. Completely surprised me, right? And you don't know. Very magical. Yeah, oh, yeah it's so beautiful. Um, I still can't believe I did that race on a hybrid. And when I look back, I'm like, I, I have no idea how I did it. But everything was was just <laughs> the excitement of the first on every level, like sleeping in a tent, taking a pit stop uh, in the middle of the ride, doing hills. And, you know, when we'd slow down, there'd be, there'd be someone riding past you and say, oh, thanks for riding for my mom. Like, damn it, now I can't give up. Like, <laughs> I just got to keep going. So it's very, like a yeah. lot of beautiful moments like that. If you, if you did it on a hybrid, you know, it shows that the gear isn't really the most important thing. It's um, it's you, your motivation and the purpose of what you're doing it for. Um, did you think it helped you grow as a person or doing, let's say, adventures like this? Do you think it helps you grow as a person? Yes, you absolutely come out learning or, or shapes you who you are as a person. I think one of the biggest things... I have realized between a race like this or or the subsequent challenges I took, you know, in, in the years after the right to conquer cancer or the triathlons is it is at least 50% your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And how you train your mind um, for, um, for race or leading up to is what you implement in your daily life as well. So uh, if I look at my work, it's project related. And every project has kinks. Uh, so it's, but it's never about, oh snap, uh, you know things have uh, gone haywire. What are we going to do now? It's almost, it's always about pivot. Mm-hmm. How are we going to find a solution? It's just keeping the end goals in mind and then doing all the pivots you need to, and then eventually get there. So that mentality mm-hmm. really has come from, you know, doing these kind of events. That's a good segue into training and work and training balance. How do you split your time between training, work, and family? Yeah, so my mom, my husband, and Circuit, my dog, the three of us, Mm -hmm. the four of us uh, live together. 
how do I split my time? I think just having a very demanding job and also a family who has, you know, been extremely supportive. It, it takes a village to get someone, uh, you know, in, in this kind of a training setting. How do I balance it is by carving out that 25th hour for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. For years, you know, I, I was always about, oh, I'll, I'll let go of this because I must attend to um, X, Y, Z or whatever that X, Y, Z is that would be beyond myself. And it would it would lead to a little bit of resentment, not resentment that I would be spending time with them. But it was almost like, oh, years have passed. I've been wanting I've been saying the same things that I want to try, uh, but I just don't find the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, then you take a step back and you say, if this is so important to you. What are you doing about it? What I found really helpful is waking up when everyone's asleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was never a morning person. And now if I don't have my morning start a certain way, I I feel I've wasted the entire day. Most of my training um, begins, especially when I'm I'm in peak season, um, will happen maybe around 4.35, wake up, have breakfast, um, be out to train, mm-hmm. shower, go to work, yeah. home, be an 85-year-old by nine o'clock, go to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nine or 10, you know, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. get the picture. Um, but how do you find the motivation to keep getting up every single day when you're in training and you know you're going towards a goal, but, you know, some days it's not the best like to get up early in the morning. How do you, how do you keep yourself motivated? I think a couple of things. So one is... Uh, when you start doing it consistently for a little bit of time, your body asks you for it. It's really strange. Some days it's fueled by excitement. Some days it's, uh, you know, you dragging yourself out because you know how important it is. And for me, you know, a training day is not a training day. I live my goal in every single training I do. So if mm-hmm. I'm swimming, for example, and I'm at my... Um, you know, 200th meter and I have five, 500 more to go in my head. I'm constantly imagining the finish line and thinking, would you stop if you were on race day right now? And you just wouldn't. So there's no choice to uh, cop out, but then it's also when you really dig deep and it's just not happening, then tier three is your friends and family. Uh, And I've, I've built and my tools, you know, that these guys are pivotal there. I'll just text them and I'll say, it's just not happening. I need to get this done. And more often or not, even friends that don't run might be, okay, I'll go for a walk if you go for a run or get your butt up and get out there. So it's very important to have, uh, you know, those kind of tools in your life. And I think my fourth and my most powerful one is I want to eat chips. So that's my biggest motivation. So yeah. if I've had a good weekend uh, of training, because all my heavy work happens over the weekend, I will get the biggest bag of chips and treat it like it's nobody's business. <laughs> I think one more thing that I will say um, is enabling. So it's not about motivation, but is enabling is planning your week in advance. And especially when you're so busy between family, training, uh, and work, it becomes a requirement. I'm not saying nice to have, but a requirement to have your week planned out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what I need to do Monday through 
um, you know, Sunday, um, so that I know before, before work, these are my training days. My, my clothes will be, you know, uh, kept out the night before. So it's, how do you minimize those barriers? Because some days, like you said, become really, really hard. So there have been times where I just don't want to go swimming and then I'll play these mental games, you know, like a project. Just go brush your teeth. And if you don't feel like it, go back to sleep. Fine. Step one done. Just wear your swimsuit. And then if you don't want to go, come back to sleep. There's no pressure. So Mm -hmm. keep adding a dash of kindness, break it down into steps. And I think 90% you just show up eventually. Yeah. It's the hardest part I feel is like just getting out of bed some days. Is that? Yeah, that's it. And then once you're out, you can achieve pretty much anything you want to. Okay, so um, let's talk about your experience at the Lake Placid Ironman 70.3. Just describe how you began to think about it. For me, Lake Placid holds a lot of significance for multiple Mm -hmm. reasons. Because five years before this race, I actually took a trip to Lake Placid. And um, during a very burnt out time uh, at work, First of all, it is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, small town feel, the entire community, like you see that oozing out that infectious energy. Uh, it is also home to the Olympics. So it's known to be a very uh, sport infused town where the community comes together for events, especially sporting, Olympics, all kinds of things. The Iron Man was also part of that entire, um, you know, why when I was visiting and I uh, vividly remember thinking to myself, if I ever gather the courage to do uh, something out there, I didn't know if it would be an Iron Man, but something out there, I would want it to be in Lake Placid. Uh, when I was planning my races, Lake Placid was not even remotely on my radar uh, because the way we, um, you know, sort of choose our races in in the um, Northeast, um, it has to be aligned with weather, right? And and Lake Placid at the time had a full distance Ironman. Uh, It also was a mountain course. It's very different uh, when you do a flat course. Uh, You can gun a lot faster, um, but but when you have like for example Florida or Dubai, th- those are very friendly courses on your legs. Uh, but for something like a Montremblant or um, Muskoka or or Placid, they are intense. They're known to be intense courses, uh, so it would have been far from my first choice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I was booking my first half, which. I, I think it was in Maine um, is what I had decided. And so, mm-hmm. for some reason, Maine did not work out. No, yeah. it was Santa Cruz. And okay. it did not work out for me. And I just said, okay, there's a 70.3. Same thing that I, I told you about my first try. Like if I don't do it um, this year, then I'm going to have to wait an entire yeah. year. And mm-hmm. because that was going to be a year of firsts where I had never run a half marathon or 10K before, this is the only race that fit uh, with the weather and uh, the timeline because everything yeah. else would get uh, you know, much colder and would require a lot more travel. So... Um, right. When I when I took this plunge, I, I remember reading about uh, the September weathers, which were 
minus two degrees, uh, severe, uh, like people had hyperthermia. A couple of people I contacted Mm -hmm. over Instagram, like you don't think of these things when you book an adrenaline, right? So the excitement sort of grew. I think there's also excitement that life was coming full circle in a way, because where I dreamt about it is where I was going to do my first. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there was excitement in that. It's when I started training there, or just happened to do a bit of course familiarization is when I learned about the hills. It was beyond my imagination, the uphills. Uh, it's known for its, what what that bike course is. So the swim is known to be one of the most beautiful swims in the world. And I can attest to that. Uh, Mirror Lake is pure magic to swim in. And the bike course is absolutely brutal as they describe it, because it starts with, uh, I think about a 10 kilometer gradual climb, which is called the ski jumps. And then it goes into a downhill, which is the keen descent, which people absolutely love, or people like me will shit in their pants for. Um, And then uh, the last 40 kilometers is just climbing. Like that climb does not stop you just, especially there's a portion, uh, I think it's called Wilmington. You Mm -hmm. keep climbing and then it culminates into what they call the three bears. Um, And those are just gradual. So it starts with Goldilocks and then it it becomes steeper with baby bear. Then it's Uh mama bear. So imagine this, this all comes, I believe in the 80th kilometer. When your legs right. are fried, uh, it's the it's one of the steepest climbs, and then it's uh, straight to the finish line. Yeah, but then you have to do a run as well. Oh so yeah, during so race time. Yeah, yeah uh, race day. I think for me, it was just about just do the swim. Don't think about uh, the the ride yet. Mm. Then when I got to the ride, uh, knowing my fear for uh, downhill. Just get through Keen. Don't think about anything else. When I got through Keen, I actually yeah. made really good time um, until I had a fall in my 35th kilometer. And then okay. all the climbing actually happens after that. How do you, how did you feel? How did you feel when you fell? Uh, you know, when I fell, I landed on my bike. And I knew there was stuff happening under my bike shorts, uh, but I just didn't want to look. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. like the volunteers and the police officers that were there, uh, they said, would you like to fold? And I took a moment and I said, I've just brushed off. And I said, actually, we're going to finish what we started. Um, I'm good. And off I went. But I, it was almost like I didn't want to know. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when you know what's happening, uh, it yeah. can uh, defeat you a little bit. Uh, and for me, I just wanted to keep my focus at the finish line. And the other thing is, I knew I had done something to my bike because it would, it just didn't have the speed it had. And I did not want to wait for a repair crew because it's a timed event. So even after my fall, you know, I, it just would waste so much time. Um, and all the climbs happen after that 45th kilometer. So there was something in my bike that kept preventing me, um, which, mm-hmm. uh, spoiler, later I found out my rare brakes were rubbing into my uh, tire okay. the whole time. 
So yeah. it was just a lot more friction. I mean, note to self, my biggest learning is know how to fix a bike. Yeah, definitely. I think knowing knowing what you're um, relying on, uh, you need to really know how to, like the ins and outs of how to fix it. Um, Every race teaches you something, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I think during the bike, you don't even, for me at least, I wasn't even thinking the way you asked yeah. Um, at the end of those hills, the the run. No, that's project number three. You you yeah. get to it uh, when the time right. is right, or you'll never get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you feel like adrenaline rushing through your body when you fell, and you were like, hey, it must have been an instant decision to not stop? Oh my God, yes. I feel, uh, you know, in times like these, it as it is any of these races are at least 40% mine. And for me, after that fall with, you know, I knew there was something that I had hurt, uh, you know, in my body, something I had hurt with my bike. Um, And at that time, it truly became, um, I would say, at least 60 to 70% pure mind. Because Mm -hmm. if if I would have accepted uh, that I'm hurt or there's something wrong with my bike, there is no way I would go forward. So I had to detach that feeling um, yeah. and just like keep my mind focused. I probably watched every single um, racing movie in my mind during during that race uh, that I would have grown. Like Indiana Jones, like all of these, you know, cliffhangerish kind of movies. I used to love an Indian movie called um, Joji the Voice Sikander, that last scene yeah. where the, the cycle race is happening. Uh, yeah, watched all those scenes multiple times, <laughs> kept entertaining myself. Uh, yeah. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, how do you change your mind? How do you bend at least your mind to think that this is important for me? Because if you once you start thinking it's important, that's when you, I think, commitment and being disciplined and focused and consistent becomes easier and fun. How do you bend your mind into or trick your mind into thinking it's important for you? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. And I, I think depending on the goal, uh, I, I will say don't set such a big goal on the onset. Like this has been um, a work in progress. It started out really small carrying through with that commitment, getting a taste of, do I even like this? Right. And then, and then it, uh, going a little bit, um, further for me, it started with, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say for, let's say I wanted to get a little more active, but then what would happen is, is a very, um, predictable cycle of, Oh, um, I'll go if X, Y, Z joins me too. Or I'll go if X, Y, Z also does this with me. Now you're not only relying on yourself, but you're relying on somebody else's schedule to align and their desire to also put in the work for it, right? Um, But then at the end of the day, people can have different instances. When you put, when you create these kind of dependencies, you are, automatically setting you up for failure or just putting a higher barrier for yourself uh, for success. So it has taken some time to understand. I want to do X. If somebody joins, that's great. If somebody doesn't, 
that's okay too. I'm going to follow through with that. But it doesn't happen, you know, on the onset. Um, it's it's absolutely, you know, baby steps. If if it's, I also find putting goals are helpful because it gives you something to work towards. It doesn't have to, it, it should be achievable. Uh, like I, I wouldn't want to set even now to say I want to run a marathon. It's too much of an undertaking for me. Uh, but, you know, when mm-hmm. never say never, maybe one day I want to. Uh, but, you know, at this point, uh, it excites me that I may want to do 30 kilometers because I've reached 21 as my max. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's um, bit by bit. The goals keep changing, but keep them exciting. Keep them challenging enough that it. Uh, pulls you, but I think shave off the dependencies mm-hmm. and make them nice to haves. Yeah, I yeah, I completely agree with the dependencies. I think for me personally, I would say the other part that I think the bigger the goal, I get really excited. But I think it's hard for people to sustain that excitement over a long period of time because you can't achieve that very big goal like tomorrow or the day after. Perhaps if you're doing like running and, you know, if you set like a 21 kilometer goal and if that excites you, I think a series of excitements is what you need. Um, And it's hard to sustain that excitement if it's a very big goal. So let's say I, I would say I want to do across the world like an 80 days, you know, bike ride. That's like in the realm of like pro athletes or, but it's it's possible, but it's, um you know, it could keep me up at night kind of thing. But I, it's very hard to sustain that on a day-to-day basis. Oh, hmm. so I, I want to do a bit of no. course correction because I think I was sure. misunderstood okay. a little bit. No, all right, uh, so. I was talking when people are starting out. So I am yeah. absolutely in your okay. camp for me. Yeah. Personally, it would be that the way I opt for now, a 21K race would not excite me because that, that's something I've mm. conquered at one time. Like when I hadn't run five, this was huge, yeah. right? Um, for now, I think what excites me is if there is something that makes me nervous, <laughs> mm. but more excited, then I must do it. But it has to have that kind of, oh, my God, how am I going to keep it? Sleepless nights, choking as I talk about it kind of big, but some, but also something that adds that excitement. So, for example, a full distance Ironman for me um, is causes that itch. That is what, you know, makes me extremely excited. Um, I, I haven't conquered it. Uh, that was one of my goals for this year. And when I had thought about it, um, I think I told you in, in, in our previous chat, I would almost choke just saying, mm-hmm. but then it would get me so excited that I would have to do a spot check with my equation. Like, does it make you more excited than nervous? Yes. Okay. Then you must do it. That That's always my uh, okay. fact check. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Once I put that, um, in the works, then it was all about finding those mini milestones that would lead up to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my comment about keep your goals um, achievable. achievable. So, for example, at this point, my goal is this year not to go to Kona. Mm, <laughs> right. That is correct. that is beyond my realm right now. Uh, but what is going to challenge me enough to put me in a twist uh, but also keep me motivated 
uh, is definitely big mm. enough. I just wanted to see or ask you um, your opinion on what do you consider an athlete to be? How would you define an athlete? How would I define an athlete? That's such a great question. For me, an athlete is someone that will meet themselves where they're at and move forward with things they can do. If I look at look back at all the things, there will always be things you cannot do. There will always be people that are faster than you. There are always there will always be people that have better equipment. There will always be people that um, you know have had a different base training or a different background uh, that will enable them, right? Mm -hmm. So meeting yourself where you're at and staying committed to moving forward with what you have, where you want to, and taking it one step at a time is what makes an athlete. Just that desire, that hunger to keep moving forward and just be in love with what you do. That's a very good definition. So what are you grateful for? right now? I am extremely grateful for health. Um, I am extremely grateful for um, a loving family and friends. If your health is in, in a good place, then you can do all the things you want to for the people you care about. And by health, I mean mental and physical. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> you are most Around welcome. Health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I loved exploring the ideas of keeping yourself motivated, finding your inner strength, and setting realistic goals to achieve them. All the traits, in my opinion, of a giant in disguise. If you like this episode, please do reach out. I'm curious to know how these stories have inspired you to challenge your fears. Thank you for listening.